You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. I have a book in my library, not one that I necessarily would recommend you run off and get, but it's called The All Better Book. And it was written by an elementary creative writing teacher who engaged these uh, group of second graders. Actually, there were quite a few of them. And she asked them some big questions about some big problems that had to do with, uh, you know, the world today. And she asked what, what their solutions were. And some of the answers were pretty interesting. Some were just downright funny. Let me give you a couple examples of what I'm talking about. The biggest challenge of all might be getting people off their couches to go out and make the world better. Any ideas? Micah, age 10, put spikes on all the couches. <clears throat> There's a little baby Dr. Evil right there. Okay, the net, another one. Too many people spend hours at jobs where they're unhappy. Give their boss some suggestions. Andrew, age nine. Pay double, okay, and have a big tickling machine for unhappy workers. <laughs> sure, HR is really good with that tickling machine, but we'll see. And then here's the bigger, probably the bigger challenge. With billions of people in the world, someone should figure out a system where no one is lonely. Kalani, age eight. People should find lonely people and ask their name and address. Then ask people who aren't lonely their name and address. Then when you have an even amount of each, assign lonely and not lonely people together in the newspaper. It's an administrator right there, right? Max, age nine. Make food that talks to you when you eat it. For instance, it would say, how are you doing? <laughs> This, this kid is in second grade. Okay, and then uh, Matt, age eight. We could get people a pet or a husband or a wife and take them places. Matt has no idea what marriage is really all about, does he? <laughs> and then the last one, Brian, age eight. Sing a song, stomp your feet, read a book. Sometimes I think no one loves me, so I do one of these. With billions of people in the world... Somebody should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. What do you suggest? Former Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. Vivek Murthy, recently wrote an article in the Harvard Business Review titled, Work and the Loneliness Epidemic. In that article, he writes, During my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes, it was loneliness, just people alone. He says it's more than doubled since the 1980s. That's well over 40% of Americans who report suffering from loneliness at significant levels. And experts actually anticipate that the total is considerably higher because people are so reluctant to admit that I'm lonely. More than ever, people live apart from their family and their friends. And that's true here in Lexington. We see people like that all the time. Most people don't move to Lexington because of relationships. They do it for opportunities like jobs, to make more money, or for education. The list goes on. The Surgeon General writes this about loneliness. He says it can be fatal. This is what he writes. Loneliness is also associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, Lonely people have higher rates of dementia, depression, and anxiety. 
Also, he says, loneliness and a weak social and weak social connections are associated with a reduction in the lifespan, similar to that reduction that's caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day. The truth is, loneliness isn't even healthy for us. It's a serious problem. But far beyond the health concerns, the truth is, loneliness is crushing to the soul. And God recognized that loneliness was a problem. God put Adam in the garden at creation, the Garden of Eden. And he said, I want you to take care of it. And then he gave him all the rules. And then we read this in verse 18 of Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then the scripture talks about all the animals that were created from the dust of the earth. And they run, God runs them by Adam and Adam names all of them. And then we read this in verse 20. But for Adam, no suitable, suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. What we learn from this portion of Genesis 2 is the focus of our talk today, and really for the next three weeks. And that is this. We were designed to belong. You may not feel that way, but you were, you were made to actually interconnect with others. Now, the big question is, is belonging actually better than being alone? Even though you were designed that way, is it really better than being alone? Some of, you, some of us smirk at the wounds that we get from social media. They, they don't affect us. Others of us, they really hurt us. But all of us, regardless of whether social media dings bother you or not, all of us have scars from relationships. It may have been a breakup that you thought, this is the one for me, and then it ends tragically. Or it could have been harsh words that someone gives you on the phone, and then they hang up with with force. Or maybe it was a string of painful words right to your face. Or maybe they gave you the silent treatment. And the silence was deafening. It might have been betrayal. It may have been abandonment. However those wounds came, we all have scars as a result of those wounds. And we remember them, and we remember the pain that came with them. And they may cause us to wonder, is belonging really better than being alone? Several years ago, shortly after I had started as the lead minister here at Northeast, a guy joined a life group that I had been leading at the time, and this, this group focused on future leaders, people who had leadership potential, and this guy seemed to be a pretty good fit for that group. After connecting with the group for probably a year or so, he called me one day, and he wanted to have a conversation. So he showed up, and we started talking, and he opened up and shared about this significant failure in his life. It was obvious to me that the guilt of that was eating him alive. And so his, his question to me was, do you have any advice on what I should do? And we discussed this path 
moving forward that would honor God and begin healing the situation. But part of that path moving forward involved him taking ownership of what had happened. And I could tell he was having nothing to do with that. That is not what he wanted. He wanted me to uh, kind of whitewash it and say, hey, you know what, just, just draw two lines here. And we'll start over and move forward. You don't have to worry about that. He wanted me to, you know, this, like a priest, just absolve him of that. And, and he, could, he could pretend as if it never happened. And Well, that wasn't, I didn't think that that was what God wanted to happen here. For emphasis there. Soon after that meeting, I noticed that he stopped coming to our group. Now, that wasn't uncommon. Guys who are busy, leader types, they're in and out. And so we would see him. And, and, but there were several weeks there that I didn't see him. But I saw him on Sundays, and we had conversation. And, and then one day I noticed that I hadn't seen him, and I hadn't seen him for a while. And a guy who knew him told me, yeah, um, he's going to another church. No explanation to me, no communication other than through his friend. He was just gone. And I knew why he was gone. He didn't like what I said. But we were friends. I mean, we had been doing life in this, in this life group for a long time. I knew him, and he knew me. I hadn't done what he wanted, and so he decided he would do something different. And you know, it's funny, somebody would say, well, don't take it personally, but how else was I going to take it? I mean, I blamed it on the other guys in the group. I mean, that was natural, you know. The truth is that I took it personally, and it bothered me. Trusting others opens us up to disappointment, hurt, and betrayal. The truth is, trusting people is risky, but sometimes... They're not the only source of the problem. Sometimes you can be the problem. Sometimes I'm the problem. I don't know if you're like me, but I tend to want to protect myself in most situations. And the older you get, the more relational lines you have to manage and the more opportunities to potentially be hurt. When you're young, the only non-family relationships that you manage are those friends who live in the houses right near you. And then you go to middle school and to high school and you have teammates and there's study groups and social cliques that you have to coordinate. And then when you go to college, you trade in your high school friends for your dorm friends or your fraternity or sorority friends. And then after you graduate from college, things get really complicated. You have your work friends. If you're married, you have your married friends. And the odds of finding a couple that you and your spouse both like are nearly impossible. You know what I'm talking about. And then you have kids. And then you have to develop friends with the, your kids' friends' parents. I mean, you don't even like these people, but they're on the same team as your kid, right? And so you've got to be friends. The more relational lines that you have to manage, the more opportunities that you have to get hurt, and the more wounds that you'll receive, and the less trusting you are likely to become. More, how many people, how many more people do you think you can actually trust? How many? If you share your heart with them, all of them, they may be gone tomorrow. Or worse, they may share your heart with everyone they know. But you trusted them. 
One day you start seeing pictures of several of your friends on their Instagram accounts. There are tons of these pictures, and they're having great fun at the lake, and it looks like a lot of fun to you. In fact, you think the only thing wrong with these pictures is I'm not in any of them. They didn't invite me. What did you do? Did I do something wrong? Have you ever had one of those moments where everybody was there but you? I mean, 25 years ago, that would have happened, and you might have heard about it, you know, sometime later, but today you can hear about it in real time. You can see all the fun they're having. Do you ever wonder if a friend truly likes you? Do you ever worry whether or not they're actually a true friend? They didn't text me back right away. Did I offend them? I mean, I saw that thing spinning, but then I didn't see it spinning. And it it seemed as though they changed their mind on what they were going to say. And so I've been sitting here for 45 minutes waiting for their response, and I didn't hear anything back. And all of a sudden, I kind of feel like a criminal profiler trying to determine the suspect's motives. Please just respond. This only makes me want to interact less and less with people who are outside of my family. It's risky, but we're designed to belong together. Even with the risks, we are actually better together. With billions of people in the world, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely, and somebody did. Jesus said in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this one, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. With billions of people in the world, somebody should come up with a system where nobody is lonely, and somebody did. It's called the church. How many, when they hear the word church, they think of a place to go to or a service to attend? That's part of it. But Jesus, Jesus' picture of the church had so much more than that in mind. This, this thing called the church was to be a spiritual family, which is an actual family that you can belong to. One time Jesus was asked, he was told by his, uh, those with him that his mother and his brothers were outside. They were looking for him. And his response was this, Mark 3. He said, who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and mother. Jesus came to start a family. It was God's family. And everyone is welcome into that family. Your biological family may have been a disappointment to you. I don't know about you. How many of you would say that your biological family was a disappointment? Yeah, don't raise your hands. That's a, that's a rhetorical question. You know, your family's sitting next to you, okay? That biological family in God's design was never intended to be your ultimate family. God's family was the ultimate family. God wants everybody to be part of his family. In fact, Jesus died for that. The church, that's what we are. That's what we're called to be. So over the next three weeks... We're, we're going to be preparing for the upcoming fall ministry season. 
And we're going to be examining what it looks like to be part of God's family around here at Northeast. If you want to make a true difference with your life, if you want to roll up your sleeves and begin being part of pushing back the flood of sin and secularization and materialism and isolationism here in the 40509 zip code and beyond, what are you supposed to do? Well, I want to tell you, get connected here. That's where you can start. Plant your flag here. Sign up here. Say, this is where I'm going to be. This is my church. This is what I'm going to be part of. This is the people I'm going to be doing life with. I'm linking arms with focusing on belonging as we move forward. Now, the New Testament writers, they had a phrase that they used to emphasize the importance of belonging. And they loved this phrase. In fact, they used it 59 times in the New Testament. And it's the phrase, one another. Let me give you a couple examples. Not all 59, but I'll give you a handful here. Be at peace with one another. Honor one another. Wash one another's feet. Submit to one another. Admonish one another. Speak truth to one another. Be devoted to one another. These passages, we call them one another one another's, they change how people think about the church when they experience them, when they see them in action. And what's also interesting about these commands, these one another directives from Scripture, is that they're, a, they're part of a handful of Scriptures that you cannot do alone. They require somebody else for you to actually be obedient to that directive. That's why the church is so important. Often today, people will point to a building and say, that's my church. But nobody ever points to a building and says, that's my family. It might be the house where that family lives, but that's not the family. The family is made up of the people who dwell and live in that house. This building here at Northeast Christian Church, as great as it is, this is not the church. Northeast Christian Church are the people who worship here, the people who said, hey, this is my spiritual family. This is my spiritual home. The people are the church. Jesus never said, go to church. You can look it up. He never said it. But he did say, follow me. And those people who did, they became part of his family. As a church, the simplest way, the clearest strategy is to follow Jesus. And the best way to do that is to get into significant relationships with one another where we can grow and we can minister to one another. It's getting into what I like to call a biblical community. And around here we have three basic kind of versions of biblical community. You have the Bible studies that meet on the Sunday mornings And then you have what we call life groups, which are a combination of all people, and they meet at all different times during the the week. And then we have what are called discipleship groups, or we call them D groups around here. And these are groups that are intentionally put together to study the Word in order to grow spiritually, to become more fully devoted followers of Jesus. All of these groups, not one version that everybody's required to be a part of, because not everybody's wired the same way. Not everybody has the ability or the opportunity at the same time as everybody else. So there's a, three different versions of biblical community. And it's in biblical community, like these, that the one another's can actually happen. 
It's in biblical community where these relationships are developed. These are the people who we count on when the chips are down. They're our go-to people. We can't do much of these one another's in an environment like this. It's just too big. Nobody's going to be so transparent to share their deepest struggle in front of three or four hundred people. I mean, maybe you would, but we'd then be scratching our head, why? The truth is, we can't do it in this size. That's why we encourage you to get into a group, what we call biblical community. In Galatians, the sixth chapter, verse two, the Apostle Paul says this, carry one another's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what is the law of Christ? Well, we read that just a little bit ago. It's from John 13, where Jesus says that we are to love one another as he has loved us. And Jesus gives us that commandment, love each other the way I've loved you. And the best way, the Apostle Paul says, in order to live out that directive is by carrying each other's burdens. You know, spiritual burdens are as real as physical burdens. And in some cases, they're more debilitating. And so many people around us are actually carrying their burdens by themselves. And it is crushing them. A woman called a friend and asked how she was doing, and the woman's response was very direct. Terrible. She went on, my head is splitting, my back aches, my legs are killing me, the house is a mess, and the kids are driving me crazy, and on top of all of this, I feel so lonely. The very sympathetic caller said, listen, you go lie down. I'm on my way over right now. I'll cook lunch, I'll take care of the kids, I'll clean up the house a little bit. Don't you worry, just get some rest. By the way, how's your husband Sam doing? Sam, the woman said. My husband's name isn't Sam. Oh my goodness, the original caller said. I must have called the wrong number. And then there's this long pause. Does this mean you're not coming over now? See, what's changed in our world is not the burdens that we carry, the burdens of health and parenting and addiction and failure and loss. Those things have always existed, and they probably always will. But what has changed is that no one's coming over anymore. We live in a world of amazing opportunities, unbelievable financial opportunities, educational opportunities, technological advances, but nobody is coming over In fact, more and more people are going it alone than ever before. And most of us would agree, it would help if I just had a friend who came over. Paul says if you want to love like Jesus did, the best way to do that is to carry another person's burdens. Now this doesn't mean that if you join a biblical community that you'll be crushed by taking on the responsibility of a bunch of people's problems. In fact, Paul talks about that in verse 5 of Galatians 6, just a few verses later. He says, for each person should carry their own load. There seems to be a bit of 
conflict here because in verse 2 he says, bear one another's burdens. And then in verse 5 he says, each should carry their own load. And you might think that Paul is contradicting himself in the span of just a few verses, but he's not. In fact, biblical commentators explain the distinction here. Paul is using two different Greek words. The Greek word in verse 5, load, each one should carry their own load. Today would be like telling someone they need to carry a backpack. It'd be something that, it's a burden, but it's doable. You're able to carry it personally. And that's Paul's point. All of us should carry our own backpacks, our own challenges that are doable. But the word that he uses in verse 2, burden, refers to something much heavier in the Greek language. It's more like a boulder. You can't carry a boulder by yourself. We're called to carry them together. That's what Paul says is loving like Jesus. We saw that here this week. Hope Bertram is one of our, I'd call her a super volunteer. This lady is, she's involved in so many different things. And Well, she was preparing this week for a trip to Cleveland Clinic for treatment for an autoimmune disorder. Several of Hope's closest friends who work on our staff organized a prayer time for her before she left town. She didn't know about it. After our staff prayer time on Tuesday, uh, she and her husband Mike showed up, and Steve Smith led this powerfully moving uh, prayer time. And as these staff and friends surround Hope and her husband Mike, and as Steve's praying... And then at the conclusion of that, there's all these hugs and there's some tears. All of a sudden you start to see that boulder-sized burden that Hope has been carrying start to lighten just a little bit. And they didn't just do it that day. Every day since, they've been walking with her, even though it's only through prayer and moral support because she's in Cleveland and they're here. We've watched these staff people rally around her. It's been inspiring. The truth is, someone near you in your life is carrying a similar burden. Maybe for them, it's they're depressed or they're struggling with deep shame. They've got a secret that they've not told anybody. Maybe it's a diagnosis or a situation with one of their kids, or, or it's things going on in their marriage, or their sex life, or they're struggling with their temper, or there's a problem with their finances. And you came over because you've been doing life with them. You're in a group, and they recognize that you love them, and so they tell you the secret. And you're with them, and you share the burden. And when you know and you care for them, then their burden becomes lighter. You don't have to understand how that fully works. I can promise you. I don't quite get it myself. But it works. And together, we can carry what nobody could ever carry alone. Opening up my life to others is risky. But it's worth the risk. Because I need more than just me and my life. I actually need you in order to live and to thrive and to heal and to know Jesus better. We need each other. It's not good for us to be alone. We know it's not healthy. 
Some of these burdens we can't even carry all by ourselves. So we need to come to that place where as much as we'd like to protect ourselves and go it alone, instead we embrace that we were designed to be together, to belong. In fact, we realize we're better together than we are alone. Is it hard for you to admit that you might need somebody, truly need someone else in your life? Is it difficult to push past the surface level of relationships and be vulnerable to another person or maybe to a small group of people? I want to challenge you to take the risk. It's worth it. Just take that one step to say, hey, I'm going to come out of the shadows, identify myself, and connect with a handful of people. I'm tired of doing life by myself. Or maybe as a couple, you need to step out and say, hey, you know what? We're ready to take that next step. We love what God is doing in our lives. We love what's going on around here, but we recognize that life's tough. And we could use some other believers around us to, you know, help carry the boulders in our lives from time to time. I want to challenge you to take one step today to get connected. It's very simple. If you're not in a biblical community, I want to challenge you to to take the step to say, okay, I want to sign up. And you can do it really easy. The easiest way is take out your phone. You can do it even as I give you direction this morning. Take out your phone. Go to ncclex.org. That's our website. Go to the toolbar across the top. It says connection point. You you go over that, it will drop down. That's technical, I know, for those of you who are computer savvy. But it drops down, and uh, there'll be some options in there. Bible studies, life groups, D groups. You can check out what all of those entail, and then you can sign up. Easiest way to do that. You may not be a person who feels that comfortable doing those things online. There's, there's a few of us in here. So there are some walls in the lobbies out there. They're portable walls, lots of information on them about getting connected into biblical community. There's some people out there, and there are some cards that you can fill out, and you just drop them in the basket. And you're saying, hey, I want to get connected when I do that. Whether you sign up online or you sign up on one of those cards, somebody will be contacting you this week to help you make that connection. With billions of people in the world, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. And somebody did. It's called the church. But you still have to take a step to make yourself known for you to get the full impact of what it means to connect. You were designed to belong. So take that step. I don't think you'll ever regret it. And we'll change the course of history and the population of heaven in the process when we do this together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. Thank you for what Jesus did on the cross to give us new life and hope. God, I thank you for the way you designed us, that we really, truly are not what we can fully be without each other. We were designed to belong. 
Lord, I thank you for making a way for us to be able to be part of your family, that grace that we prayed about. Thank you, God, for the blessing of that. Lord, I pray that um, in an environment like this with this many people, I know that there are some who are here this morning whose lives are complicated, to say the least. Um, They have that secret that we were talking about a little bit ago, and they haven't told it to anybody. They're struggling. They may have made a mistake, and now they're reaping the consequences of that, or maybe it's something to do with their health or their family, maybe one of their kids, and and they're just being crushed by the, the burden that Paul says is the size of a boulder. God, I pray that they would know this is a safe place where people care and will love them as Jesus loved them. I pray they'll take a step to say, I want to be known and I want to be connected. It's, uh, it's fair. They don't need to carry that burden by themselves any longer. Lord, I pray that every one of us will be connected to a biblical community in that way. You designed us that way. And we do recognize that we're better when we're together. Thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name.